This episode of Behind the Glass Hunting is brought to you by Seek Outside. Anyone who has followed me over the last few years will know that I've used a Seek Outside backpack long before they were ever a sponsor of the show. I'm currently using the Fortress 4800 and it is killer. I've moved more game and other oddball loads in that backpack than I can remember. Seek Outside also makes some of the most badass shelters on the mountain. We are currently using the Silex, a single man trekking pole supported tent when solo or counting the ansels, and a Simron with a wood stove when the weather is a bit cooler or hunting with a partner. My friends at Seek Outside are offering listeners of this podcast free shipping on all orders if you use the code BTGH. That's BTGH, as in behind the glass hunting. Head on over to seekoutside.com for your next backpack or shelter purchase. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. Today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Jenny Lee. Uh, Jenny and I volunteer together for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers here in BC, Region 2. Um, I know I sit in the chair position for Region 2, but uh, we all know that Jenny's secretly calling the shots and keeping me in check. So, yeah, Jenny does a lot of cool shit. Um, I met Jenny, it's got to be four or five years ago now, when she was bumbling around on a hunting forum looking for hunting advice and I was certainly no expert and I certainly still am not an expert but uh, I wanted to help so I showed her a message and we connected and I think maybe a little bit I was able to help her with some stuff and she's gone on to amount uh, quite the hunting career so yeah sit back and enjoy this episode with Jenny and be sure to check her out on the uh, social channels at Chasing Food Club thanks guys enjoy You can prepare for everything that you can control, but that's not very much. My goal was just to hunt as hard as I could, as long as I could, at all costs. Better ask it, man. <laughs> Speak for yourself. 28 and sunny, we're almost definitely going to have hikers on the trail, boys. I'm getting across that damn river, and I'm getting after those goats. Let's go. We're hunting. We're going after something. <laughs> what was that? About women's health. So not even about hunting, just women's health. I just, I just thought uh, there was a lot of issues out there about women, like little things that you should do, like annual checkups and stuff, and nobody was really... You don't learn those things in school. You don't learn fucking anything in school. No. You don't learn anything about money. You don't learn anything about, like, anything useful. I, use, I, I do legit use math uh, in my day, to, like, for my job, but, <laughs> like, nothing else. Yeah. Like really, it's it's pretty sad. We need to end schools to teaching hunting. Um, introduce yourself. Well, thanks for having me on here. Um, yeah. My name's Jenny. I volunteer with you for a few years now at the BC chapter of the BHA. And I also contribute to my own little project called Chasing Food Club. You downplayed all and of that quite a bit. Me. <laughs> um, I'd say the amount of work you do for BHA goes beyond volunteering and just straight up becomes unpaid work at some point. <laughs> like you hustle. Don't kid yourself. It's um, It's kind of just become... You know, when I started dating my boyfriend, I warned him Monday to Friday, I work. And work is defined by everything, like not just the job that pays me, but the BHA, Chasing Food Club, because, I mean, work doesn't necessarily mean your life's work is not paid work. It's things that get you going and gets you excited. And so that that's 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 the fun work for me. And so it gets me going. Like when you call me up and you go, hey, what's happening with this? And then we get, we go back and forth for 15 minutes yelling at each other. I'm like, <laughs> I hang up, like I'm riled up and I'm like, this is exciting. It is exciting. Like, you wish work is this exciting. I know. Exciting. Everything, <laughs> it's funny, like everything that I don't get paid for makes up for everything I do get paid for. Like how sucky it is having to work for a paycheck and then the things I don't get paid for, I get yeah, that's the the passion projects, as people would call it. 
Well, yeah, and I don't overthink the job that pays. I just go, yeah, I just don't overthink it. Like, I'm not very career-driven in my paid job. You know, my boss has been trying to move me into management for three years now. I go, why? (laughs) We get paid the same and you do more work. Yeah, you don't need that. You don't want more responsibility, same money. Yeah, and I'm totally okay with that because that I, I accept that that does not define me and I've let go of the idea of the career. So That's uh, admirable, very admirable. Do you know I was thinking about something today when I knew, well, well I, when I knew that you and I'd be recording? This is actually all your fault. Like every little <laughs> thing that I'm involved in is you. Like when I first met you, I didn't even know how to use Instagram. Um. And now, who knows what I've got going on? Like, you know, everything. Um, I've got a flipping podcast. And yeah, like this is, I think you're to blame in a way. Um, So a little bit of thank you and a little bit of curse you. (laughs) I just remember you always calling me during work hours while you're up on a ladder or something and going, hey, I got this idea for a podcast. Yeah. So how do I go about this? Yeah, I mean, that, and that's what I would do at my day job is I just daydream about my passion projects. Um, but now that I'm the boss of my own company, I spend even more time on the passion projects and there's no one to tell me it's bad. <laughs> I, I mean, I actually, I went for a run today after work and I was listening to your most recent podcast with Andrew. Yeah. And I was just thinking to myself, like I got really into it. Like I was learning things about the BHA that I had no idea. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're just so vast in BC that everybody's doing such cool little things in our own pockets. But I've noticed from your first podcast to the one with Andrew, you kind of found your tone. You kind of found your interview style. And you got really good at uncovering like the good stories. Like I was fully engaged. Oh, that's good. Uh, I, I even went for an extra K so I can just finish oh, it. Oh, well, I'm glad I had an impact on your uh, work out there. No, that I like. I do agree. Um, when somebody new comes to the podcast, I try and steer them away from the first like couple. I want them to jump mm-hmm. in late, fall in love with me, and then go back to the start once they've already once they've got some emotional buy-in. Um, I mean, but everybody's got to start somewhere. But your early stuff was good. Like it was just like the stuff you want to pop in when you're driving home. And you just want to relax. You don't want to overstimulate your brain. Yeah, so like bad television. It was. It started like, <laughs> it started very very casual. It didn't actually. This is a, this is a strange topic for, to cover on the podcast that people are listening to. So I'm sorry about these folks, but just in, just in, endure this. Um, people want the juice. When Chris. we first started, up. Nick and I had sort of two ideas, two directions. Nick very much wanted to do a, like super chill banter like the hockey boy thing and i was more leaning towards the let's provide value let's provide education let's provide information turns out it's really hard especially when you're a new podcast it's very hard to provide like high level content and information value every single time so then i then i was falling back to the hockey boy thing and just having bullshit sessions with my friends and which uh, I really liked that and now it's taken like a full crazy turn altogether and I got like uh I got some super controversial guests coming up and some I'm trying to get my local MLA to come on Dan Coulter if you're listening uh you've got my email so get on here um so yeah like it's a wild ride and I hope everyone's digging it but to and to to think about Andrew's episode um this is something how often do you feel the classic oh jenny you run region 2 bha what do you do i know that i know we all <laughs> so i i kind of i thought andrew was a good one because you told me off on the phone the other day and you said chris you do nothing andrew does everything so i'm like oh, i'm getting andrew on the podcast i want to see why this guy's so good what's so good about andrew i i caught that <laughs> and i just want to i just want to say you do a lot, Chris. I'm a fluffer. You know, you're probably the driving reason. Hey, let me finish complimenting <laughs> you. You're probably the, the the reason why our membership has grown so much, just based on your personality of just, you know, the team mentality, always a giver, you know, giving out free hunting advice when you should. Yeah, I definitely should. And then you regret it later, yeah. but that's yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, 
and then you always do the actual heavy lifting. Like I don't have a car, so I, I do all the details and the events, but you're like, you need this booth? I'm going to get the fucking yeah, booth. That's true. <laughs> Things like that. So, uh, you know, you do a lot. I think I was going to correct myself when I say Andrew does a lot, meaning he doesn't have the same solid crew that we have in region two. He's literally a solo yeah, man. He's, I mean, he's got, he's got some folks, but yeah, like he's a, I forget often, like we have so much help here in region two, like between you, yeah. myself, Lee, who is, uh, the, who's officially co-chairing with me. Um, yeah. Yeah, like we do have a good, good, really good crew for doing. And I want to get into what we do in Region 2 specifically, but um, with Andrew there, and I thought it'd be really cool and I'll, I'll work my way around the province and I want to do just like um, yeah, like chapter highlights and like talk about the local stuff just so people are getting more of a feel for what we're doing here at BHA. Um, I'll probably yeah. split these up. I don't know if I'll go Andrew, then straight into you. There might be a gap. I don't want to bombard people. Yeah, screw it. I'm going to bomb, jam it down their throat. They get it. No, you you need some of that slow chit chat, hockey talk, and then some of the serious talk. You got to balance people out so that way you don't tire them. Well, out. my podcast on Friday. This is this. I'll segue this real nice. My podcast on Friday is with Chris Daramont, who's the fella that wrote, um, the paper. well, a lot of papers. The paper that started. Uh, he it all. so he yeah he like he's the lead researcher for Raincoast BC. And if you're not, mm. um, if you're a hunter and you're not familiar with Raincoast BC, please go and familiarize yourself before you listen to my next podcast that's coming out. Um, but anyway, that might, so yeah, we're going to go from Andrew to like super heavy, then maybe we'll jump back in with you and keep it light. <laughs> um, All right. But anyway, at Chris's most recent paper, talking about the social license to hunt, um, I think... Well, we're gonna get we're gonna get into it. Right no, now, no, no, we're not. I'm gonna I'm I'm bringing <laughs> okay. it up, but it's part of my segue. Social license to hunt, I think, ties in very nicely with what the majority of our work in Region Two has been, and you were the driving force behind this, um, and that is, as as the the haters would say, just throwing pint nights. But it's more than that. It's building a community. Um, and I think that the, the social license to hunt thing and having a community of people, hunters, non-hunters, and then friends of those people, having a growing community here in the lower mainland is an excellent way to address that social license to hunt. I think so. Yeah. Um, how many times did I call you, have I called you on the community thing? I'm like, what are we doing? Like... We can't just throw another pint night, but you continuously talk me off the ledge. Do you want to talk to the importance of that community or the how it comes together? I'm going to totally blindside you here. I think, so. um, yes, community is very important because one person echoes the message to who knows, hundreds of people. It depends when you wake up, what you do, where you grab your coffee, who you shake hands with at work. Um, and I think it's very important we build a community of mindful hunters, you know, of hunters that understand that when we are trying to preserve our hunting heritage, sometimes posting a picture of yourself with your pack and gun won't really resonate with the non-hunting public. It'll resonate with us hunters because we know how much that pack weighs. We know how much time we invested in making sure we can shoot that gun properly and take down a, a big animal but the non-general hunting public all they see is hey there's a man with a gun mm -hmm. fighting for his right to shoot it mm -hmm. again at anything that moves that's <laughs> yeah. all they see and he's probably drunk and so it's it, <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's the third assumption and so it's it's very important we build a community of people that go out into their everyday lives and is is aware of that that you and you know what there's no need for us to justify what we do with the general public because there's no way to explain the kill of each animal it's very personal it's very unique from animal to animal and there's no point but i think it's important to be to put ourselves out there and be kind and understanding and nice to non-hunters so that way when it comes time for them to vote they're like i know chris 
Chris is a nice dude. He would never go out there and harm things. He wouldn't uh, just just go off there and just shoot everything that moves. That's that's not Chris. I yeah, know Chris, Chris. doesn't have. Uh, I'm doing rabbit ears for the listeners. Bloodlust for, for <laughs> some. Yeah, you know, that's the that's a common public perception. Is a, is a bloodlust. But yeah, yeah, whatever. I would call what I have crazy bloodlust sometimes when I'm like. Hey, what you and your boyfriend get up to? Anything? Like that's yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all those terms, like they're very personal to us and there's no need to justify, but I think it's very important we build a community of nice, compassionate people who be good citizens out there and make a good impression with other people that don't hunt. And just even if, just the conversation, just to have the conversation, like even if we have somebody at a BHA pint night at the Burnaby Lake Rugby Club, which I'm not even sure if we're still, I never really got some got emails back from those guys i hope we're still welcome there when covid's gone um even if there's somebody there that is a not, not is not a hunter and completely disagrees with their messaging and whatever at least they're having a conversation what did you do on thursday night oh i went to this thing you know at least there's a conversation happening and i think to your other passion project the one of the best forms of communication is through food. Ah. And you know how to exploit this to the nth degree. Just Jesse Zeman likes to repeat constantly is the meat diplomacy or did that come from meat eater or did that come from anyways, Jesse uses meat it diplomacy. <laughs> I like yeah. that. I mean, that's what it is. And you are, you're pretty, you're yeah. pretty handy in the kitchen. Um, have you had any big wins with through food? Yes. I actually just was sharing this story with Dylan the other day, but I was recently... So, by the way, Chasing Food Club, in case those don't know, is just uh, literally a blog, a blog that I post my food, wild game food experiments on, the occasional story here and there, and... I don't really have a th- people go tell me what you're doing, but Chasing Food Club is basically my playground. I'm sharing my story of hunting, but I'm learning how to write. I'm learning how to public speak. I'm learning how to cook. I'm learning how to take photos. So I have no end game. There's, I'm not making any money on it right now. It's just I'm playing around and seeing what sticks. So in case anybody's curious, like what's, what's she doing with all of this? Nothing. Absolutely nothing except learning. Um, but in regards to the big wins, I started taking pottery lessons. Oh. And it's a very small class of just five people in that. And we're all distanced out. So in case anybody's wondering. Oh, um, don't worry about the COVID thing. It's not even real. <laughs> the COVID <laughs> thing. Um, and when we got to the class, people started training their Instagrams. It was a group of all women. And we were super excited. And somebody was like, Jenny, you're awfully quiet. What's your Instagram? And I just completely panicked because I'm like, I just met these people. We're in downtown Vancouver. They are going to rip me apart or they're going to, they're going to judge me. What's the demographic here? So it's all women, age. We're we're talking about like early thirties women who are artists, just, just everyday, everyday, more crafty side of women in general areas, Vancouver. So I was just shitting my, shitting, just shitting my pants. And then, uh, so we traded and then the next class, everybody actually got super excited. They told me what, what they, they kept asking, what's my favorite thing to hunt? Where do you go? How do you get into this? What do you do? And for two hours, we talked about wild food and how to go out and get some with non hunters and they didn't judge me at all. And I, I was the one freaking out and overreacting so the irony of that yeah so i think that was a big win for me where i'm like yes you know i'm reaching the non-hunting demographic and leaving a good impression and i'm like at least through all my experiment experiments if that's something i can do i'm like yes wow yeah that is a win and the cool thing is you didn't even use food you used the story and the imagery of food, but you didn't actually feed anybody anything. So when are you taking them all out? When are they doing their core course? What's going (laughs) on? Did you convert them? (laughs) 
Look, Chris, I'm three years into hunting and I have still never seen a legal buck out in the woods. So before I take anybody out, I got to settle my own issues right now. You've done pretty good though. Like, let's not get around. You've done, you're three years in, but, and you, you, like, it's not like, oh yeah, I've been dabbling for 10 years, but the last three years of serious, like you are actually like three years raw and you've had a, I'd say you've done pretty good. Thanks. Um, one thing which actually I'd love to hear about is you never ever told me the story of your moose. Oh, yes. Last September yeah. moose, that little baby of mine. Yeah. So like, that's pretty hardcore. Well, well, okay. Here's a key tip for everybody. The only time I've ever been successful and once a year out of those three years, we've been lucky with whoever I've been hunting with is we always put in for an LEH for something. And every time we put in for an LEH for something, it's always a 10 day trip in some remote area. And that's the key. You just gotta go further and longer and you'll eventually, the odds will just work out. But if you're just doing two day trips out in the woods, you know, you, you just have to prepare to, to be prepared to put in more years into it. Years, not weeks. <laughs> years. Yeah, it's a game of, I mean, well, even I was, I was gonna say, um, unless you're a really shit hot hunter, but even then, like you're a shit hot hunter because you've spent time. It really, success yeah. comes down to time of field. It really does. Unless like yeah. sheer luck, but even. And consistent. Yeah. It's the consistency. So I'm it. trying to think like a, 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 an example against that would be if I went out right now into a good little spot that I know and shot a deer opening day. That you could look at that as one day. But what about all the days that it took me to learn that that area was a good little spot? So yeah, it's a time yeah. of field thing. And you've put time in. Okay, so you've got this 10-day hunt. Yeah, so uh, LEH, PG area, uh, Prince yeah. George. And uh, it was me and three older men, all adult-onset hunters, fairly new. Uh, some have, it was some, it was their first season out. So rookies, Fantastic. four rookies out in the field, including Fantastic. me. So that's four people. Um, man, I do love this moose story and I haven't really had a chance to really process it, to be honest. Um, Hash it out. Let's hear it here. You know, three men <laughs> taking charge, trying to find their shit. We're driving along logging roads and somebody was like, hey, there's a, there's a really, there's a huge swampy field out here. And it's just hidden behind some thick trees. So I don't think any hunters bother to even hike in there. So we all hiked in there. And then we all took uh, inside this vast swamp. There was a clump of trees, like mm -hmm. dead center. So we kind of beelined to the clump of trees. And we each took a corner to scout to see for any oncoming game from all four corners. Right. And we start calling. <laughs> and in my corner... I was like, man, these are some tall trees around here. And as I'm walking, walking, I literally almost hit my nose on a ladder. Oh. And I look up and I shit you not, this thing was nine floors. No, not, I'm being dramatic. Nine floors. Five floors. Five floors okay. high. Like it was a huge, tall ass tree stand. It was dangerously high, but sturdy as hell. And it could fit all four grown-ass humans no on way. it. Somebody just built really? it here. Buck middle of nowhere, by the way. And these were... I don't know who built this tree stand, but they I don't know how they got big logs up there. Like, it was sturdy. You could have a party up there, and it, was, it would have oh, been damn. fun. Anyways, so we lucked out. I was too chicken shit that day to climb up on the tree stand, because I'm like, you guys go first. <laughs> I don't trust that thing. <laughs> If you guys are all dead, I'll and know I, I want to go up. Yeah. So I'm like, you guys go up first. I want to be down here. I'll glass from down here. And calling, calling, calling. They were supposedly in the rut. And just, it was like an hour before dark, we see an animal. 200 yards away. But it was, it, I couldn't get such a clear mm -hmm. sight. At one point, I'm like, is that a caribou? <laughs> Does anybody have a caribou tag? because his antlers it was we we thought it was a spike um 
And for some reason, it, it had like a, almost a caribou-like collar, like fur right. on it. It was, it was so young and soft and beautiful. I'm, I'm giving the story away because clearly we shot it. <laughs> but, but that's not the climax of the story. The climax of the story was the, all the boys got buck fever. Oh, yeah. I'm gu- gu- Real I'm bad. Like, I'm talking about I could see the gun shaking up in the tree Oh, yeah? <laughs> and we take a shot and just miss completely. The guy doesn't even move. Didn't even notice the bullet. Or he was just really horny and desperate and trying to find his cow. The moose didn't move. Uh, and moose, moose did not Hell move. Yeah. So it must have missed, like... And then finally, I heard somebody from the tree stand shout down, Jenny, you take the shot. <laughs> and I was in Willow, and I had two inches of just clearing between right. the willows and squatting in swamp. So I take the shot, like, no no support, no nothing, 200 yards, and boom, he fell right over, just right there, didn't even run. Heck Yeah. So it was, I was pretty proud. Yeah, you should be. I, I, I want, I, this is, I'm going to brag about this. I'm bragging. What are you, uh, <laughs> what's that caliber you were shooting? That's a nice little brown and you've got there. What is it? Oh, it took me three years to remember the caliber. Is it 308? I'm going to embarrass myself now. 308. Is it 308. 308. Yeah. Smaller than a 306. <laughs> right? Okay. If you're new Shit. to hunting in Vancouver, please don't see Jenny for gun advice. Uh, head over to Reliable no, Gun. No, <laughs> I'm not into my gun at all. Yeah. My gun looks like a grizzly bear attacked it because I just dropped it so many times. And it's, yeah, I'm not into guns. I just, I, it works and that's all I care about. I never about. used to be into guns and I'm kind of getting there. Um, it's a tool. A gun's a tool. Anyway, yeah. that's sweet. So, wow, you've got a moose on the ground. Now what? Like that's got to yeah. be... I know that's not your first kill, but like a moose is, I think a moose would like trigger me a little bit. I've never shot a moose, but I think that would trigger like a different level of emotion, I want to say, than shooting a buck. I was just relieved. I mean, we traveled a long way. I was like, oh, thank God we got some meat on the ground. Right. (laughs) So I was just relieved. I'm like, we got that over with. I'm like, perfect. Perfect. And then so you you walk up on this thing and... Yeah, he was just dead. Uh, <laughs> single yeah, lung really. shot. Yeah, <laughs> just just collapsed right away. Single lung okay. shot. Two hundred yards squatting. Were you so, overwhelmed by the size of this thing? No, because he was just over a spike. Like he was still considered a full-grown moose based yeah. on his antlers. Uh, but he was okay. Like he was our first hunt. My first hunt ever was. A caribou, and he was about the same size, so I didn't right, feel so overwhelmed. There, I was like, "Okay, you know we got deal this." With it, yeah, yeah, that's a good story. Yeah. Your first caribou was a very well. I know you guys had a lot of fun on the hunt, but it was a funny, funny experience for me. <laughs> yeah, we were very rookie. well. I was get I was <laughs> getting Chris. phone calls from you. Were you still in the field, or had you just got out of the field? Yeah, the whole ride. Like Chris, we. I remember you called, it was middle of the day, Chris, we, uh, we've, we've shot a caribou. Um, we just got off the plane and we're, we're heading, we're heading home. I'm like, oh, great. Like, good for you. And then like 12 hours later, Chris, we're outside. And I got, and I'm like, holy shit. And I nudge my wife. I'm like, Hey, Jenny's, Jenny's outside with her friends and a caribou. And, and she's just looking at me like, what have you? what have you got yourself into? Who's this Jenny? Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and I can't, and I just, I remember distinctly coming down. You guys are all like beady eyed, still in shock about what, this is my interpretation. You guys are still in shock about the whole thing. Like, holy shit. We've, we've got this thing. Now what we're going to do with it. And I had rig, I had a pulley or something rigged up and I was going to hang the meat and take it to the butcher for you. Very thankful for your pulley and helping us out. Oh yeah, no, meat. like I, I loved it. Yeah. I The funniest thing, the thing that laugh, that it makes me laugh the most <laughs> is that you were, it's midnight and like, I think I'm probably in my pajamas and a jacket or something. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah, okay, here's the pulley and I'm telling you what we're going to do. But I think um, the fellow that shot it, Kalen, he would. Yeah. He was sort of wanting to tell me the story about the hunt, but I was kind of like, "It's midnight, bro. We'll catch up. Um, we'll catch up another time." 
And then you guys are all kind of still looking at the meat in the truck and still feeling a little bit foreign towards it. It was like you were nervous to get back in there and touch it again. Maybe because you had clean hands. Oh, we... You're like, let's get this up. Come on, let's go. And, and then uh, the best was Kaylin's looking at the uh, the antlers. A super impressive bull, by the way. Like that was a kick-ass caribou. I think the compulsory officer said that was the largest he's seen in 25 years for that area. Hot. Um because I, well, Kaylin looks at me and says, what am I going to do with those? And I'm like, dude, like, they got to go on the wall. You need to, you need to keep those. And he's just looking at me like, I cannot drive into Vancouver with these. <laughs> he lives downtown. I'm like, all right, we'll leave him here. I'll, I'll yeah. get him to a taxidermist. And yeah, even when I took him to the taxidermist, Chris, he was like, holy smokes. Like, do these guys know what they've, what they've got here? I'm like, yeah, I, I hope so. Like, it's a, damn big caribou no first year hunting all three of us we had no idea but i you from what you've told me you you were bullying those guys around on the mountain during the butcher butchering process and having them eat raw meat and <laughs> really giving it to them asian persuasion <laughs> <laughs> i like that i like it come on try it how yeah, was kill it you. was it good <laughs> uh, did you yeah. guys have any bears on yeah. that trip we saw grizzly tracks, yeah. but never, never saw one. Actually, the moose, though. The next day, we went back to the the same tree stand, and I guess a, a black bear got with the gut pile 200 yeah. yards away. And he was... <laughs> when I whipped up my rangefinder, I don't know why, he was, like, less than 30 yards, like, running towards really? us because he just didn't see how quiet I was eating my snack beneath the tree stand. Just a little Asian girl at the bottom of a tree silently eating a snack. I can just picture it right now. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> on my Alaska guide binos, my little snack shop. Yeah, I've seen you doing that in pictures, but that thing is super legit. The top of those binos, because yeah. I've got the same one, super flat. Yeah, great for, great for yeah. everything, coffee, snacks, whatever. Yeah. I always have something crumbs on there from eating something. So with this bears run. And Kalen, Kalen, who was on the caribou, he was he was he was on the moose hunt too, and he's like, "Shit! Every time I hunt with you, like you're either chewing something or crumbs everywhere. Like I, I he's like, I don't know what how you how you do this. <laughs> he's like, where do they all come from? Like where where do you keep all the snacks? Yeah, I'm staying keeping the keeping the fuel reserve <laughs> topped up. So what happened to this bear that was like jogging towards you? Uh, I stood up and I was like, bear! <laughs> and I had my rifle right beside me. So I chambered yeah. one right away. But uh, he, uh, he, he, as soon as he's, he heard that metal click, yeah. he ran. So you were ready to cut a bear tag? Yeah, I, think. I, I actually wanted to. And then Kaylin said, no, because we could kill another moose today, which we yeah. did not. And I thought we had this conversation in the car of, no mercy we shoot whatever we can take <laughs> yeah you're a uh, you're a, you're on a meat run yeah i was like guys we can't be picky if mother nature gives us something we're taking it but apparently because the whole ride home they're like jenny you should have shot that bear i'm like <laughs> make kaylin walk for this <laughs> i was like <laughs> i i didn't i don't you know if they're listening i don't want to make them feel bad they felt bad because they know I really want. I get in trouble all the time. I say things on the podcast, and then I have I have to call people next one. I'm like, hey, listen, um, I recorded the podcast last night. Um, you should know anything I said was for en- I threw you anything under I the said bus. was for entertainment purposes, and you shouldn't take offense. Um, I'm sure all of my friends have had that phone call now. <laughs> so you might be making one tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to try some of that caribou. And most importantly, I was lucky enough to try the meatballs that you made for the the Leatherman crew, but you had it wrapped in, was that caribou coal fat? No, that was just pig coal fat. I got it at my oh, local Oh, really? Butcher. I've been lied to this whole time. No, oh, I haven't shit. been lied to. We can go back to it. I never, I never <laughs> thought about, I knew it wasn't the caribou coal fat. I just hadn't thought about what coal fat it was. Um, those caribou meatballs were dynamite and you've already touched on this with your blog you you do your food experiments and i remember talking to you before that trip where you were making all that food 
and you were saying absurd things to me like i've tried x amount of different recipes and i think i've got it perfected um that's just a whole nother level of cooking that i'm not even close to like i don't have a recipe anywhere i like know how to make things in in a general sense and when i make something i'm it's basically oh well yeah i'm sure this this spice or season will be fine in there and i throw it in and most of the time it's decent but you like are really spending time to perfect your art and where does that creativity come from where are you even getting that inspiration or these ideas i appreciate that chris thank you um i think it's just i'm asian Duh. Duh. <laughs> um just kidding uh well i use the blog as pressure to just challenge myself to be better you know i i think of the future family i have one day my kids and stuff like i want to leave them a recipe book that they can flip through and i would like, i would take a copy of that please i'll actually pay it. for it in advance <laughs> i i don't plan on writing that cookbook till i'm 50 because i'm still learning like i'm not i'm not a good cook and that's why i actually have to cook something 15 times and be like okay i finally got it because i'm not good i call five million people my whole phone and ask people for advice, try things again, fail. Try. So I'm not naturally good. And, and the I think the motivation is just leaving something for my family and the heritage of hunting. Because, you know, you know, after we left that caribou LEH, they closed down that hunt because of the herd is not mm -hmm. doing so well. And so caribou hunting won't be a thing maybe when my kids are around. And so I want to leave that heritage bit with them relation to food and, and not lose that. Um, but also not lose my culture where, you know, my parents are Chinese Vietnamese and I don't want to lose that side either. And so I, I want to leave something. And I think that's for my family specifically, but the, I guess the public can mooch off. Well, you're doing <laughs> a damn well. good job. And yeah, I'll take, I'll take a pre-order for Grandma Jenny's cookbook, Wild Perfect. Game. What are you gonna call it? Wild game, Chinese, Vietnamese cookbook. I haven't gotten it. Maybe just chasing food. Yeah, I like that. Um, <laughs> no, but you are a fantastic cook, and I remember being specifically on that trip where you and I were there. Um, I think we were the only hunters there. Yeah, and for those listening, it was uh, uh, we were cooking for the CEO of Leatherman. Yeah. You were cooking, and I so was pouring drinks. Like I said, the yeah. heavy lifter. I, I'm not capable of certain things, and yeah. you are. That was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. You know what the best thing about that thing was? Dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best thing. Dinner time every time. But it a, a fantastic example of food being a gateway into opening that conversation with these people. I remember one of the people on that trip just being so, because you explained exactly that, that they had closed down that particular caribou hunt and they were just blown away. And I remember somebody saying, Jenny, why would you share the last of your caribou food, caribou meat with us, like us chumps? Why would you share that with us? Um, I know why, because you were trying to, break through to them and enlighten them what it was a fantastic opportunity to do a job but also bring out not in the like the pushy propaganda way but bring our agenda with it <laughs> the, the meat yeah, diplomacy like because then we spent the the whole weekend telling stories and talking about this and talking about that and i yeah i thought it was i thought it was fantastic i think you did a brilliant job I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of a wild game meat hoarder. I don't eat a lot of it myself oh. Monday to Friday. And I, I wait until I have the opportunity to give it to somebody or there's an event and I can bring it over to somebody's yeah. house. Yeah, because I still got one bit of caribou left. It's a pack of grind, three years strong. Nice. Sitting there. I'm like, I'm just waiting. And somebody messaged me. They were from Sweden, I want to uh -huh. say, or one of the Northern European countries where they hunt reindeer. And they said, keep that meat because something in reindeer caribou meat 
an enzyme or something, apparently it makes it a little more immune to freezer really? burn. And I have to say, like, I'd recently used my last caribou roast last December, and that was two years in there. Nothing was wrong with the roast, and it was just but plastic wrap, saran wrap, whatever you mm -hmm. call it, with a bit of butcher paper with mm -hmm. wax on it. Didn't have to cut away any meat. It was beautiful. Yeah, that is that. That is the move. I um, I've got a vacuum packer, and I do not use it like ever. It's expensive. It's expensive. It's and it's yeah, you, like you throw it in the freezer, and I mean, maybe I shouldn't throw it, but you put it in the freezer, and then you end up digging around in the freezer, and all those bags end up breaking anyway. Then you end up with bags that have air yep. in them, and get freezer burnt. Mind you, I've eaten freezer burnt meat. It's not the end of the earth, but it's not great on like something delicious. Um, but and and I find wild game like pretty hard to cook. Like if you're leaving it whole, you gotta have patience and you gotta slow cook it. Like you can't unless it's grind where you can quickly cook something. And so I, I save all my meat for the special occasions when I got six hours to yeah. spare. You're not wrong. It <laughs> I'm isn't just gonna let it sit. It there. isn't easy to cook. Like it's very finicky. It's, yeah somebody uh i don't know where i heard this this definitely isn't my thought but it's either got to be barely cooked or really really cooked um so yeah. it's like you know hot and fast on the grill or super slow slow cooker sous vide i went on a run with yeah. this and who, who's got time for that i don't know what i'm gonna yeah. do like in two yeah. hours I, don't, I used to have <laughs> so... time like i used to smoke meat on the on the grill and do all sorts of stuff but i lately it's been grind and steak I haven't yeah. done a roast in over a year. Easy. I don't know how to cut steak cuts yet from my All right, animals. so here's my like secret tip and like take this for <laughs> what it's worth. I don't actually cut any steaks. Um, so if I'm taking apart an animal, I take off whole muscle groups. Like, okay, yep. so, so I'll take off like the whole back strap. The back strap's like a yep. super easy one and I'll cut that into like one foot sections and i'll wrap those up and then because yeah. like that's an eat but i don't cut it into steaks i leave it as a whole section and then when i cook it i can decide all right do i want to cut it into little steakies or do i want to cook it whole well that's the thing i don't know what is a steak yet i'm not that advanced like i can butcher the steak. animal whole it's, it's leave the steak. muscle groups okay see yeah. i'm so um who do I, who's the who's the cook at meat eater the girl the pretty one uh, Danielle yeah. Pruitt. I hope I'm right. pronouncing her name right. She's uh, she had a good thing on one of the meat eater podcasts when she's butchering. She like cuts off a little chunk of meat, throws it in the grill, it, it throws it in the pan, just mm -hmm. plain, and she taste tests everything. She's like, okay, that's a that's a steak cut or that's a slow cook cooker cut. Yeah. Uh, but you eventually you nut it out eventually and but yeah so i'll t i'll just take off the whole good. like muscle group like the whole the whole chunk whichever piece it might be and i'll wrap it whole and i'll write on the packet roast or steak i write possibly roast question mark yeah that's like, i gotta show you my freezer one day it's full of Question mark. Possibly jerky. Yeah, I have no mark. idea. Like, I don't know what the cuts are called. I've had Uli <laughs> tell me, Uli from Sumas Meats, I've had him tell me a hundred times, like, uh, bottom round, top round, and, like, how you're supposed to look at it all. Oh, I don't Let, get that. You go through my freezer, it says it's either ground, or it's backstrap, or it's shank, or it's neck roast. But if it's not any of those things, it's roast or steak. And then my wife pulls it out. <laughs> And we can look at it and I can look at it when I'm, see what I'm feeling. Normally it becomes steak. Okay. So most of it can be steak. Are you not butchering your own animals? Yeah, you are. Well, that's the thing. I am butchering. That's why I don't have the nice cuts because I am being stingy. I don't want to go to yeah. the butcher. So I'm butchering it myself. And that's why there's a lot of packages with questions. Yeah, don't stress. <laughs> Just like debone it. Get the, uh, get the whole muscle groups off and roast or steak. Roast or steak. Yeah. And then like, then you can do whatever you want. If you know it looks like a shitty piece of meat and it's mm -hmm. got a bunch of sinew through it, you write slow cooker. Or you cut it into pieces and you call it stew. 
everybody, we we are redefining butchery on this yeah, Uli's, podcast. Uli's going to call me after he hears this and be like, "Chris, you have just destroyed the art of wild game butchering." <laughs> but I think people are too intimidated to butcher their animals at home for that reason, thinking they have to have all these fancy named no. packages. And I'm like, I've like besides that caribou, every other animal has been home butchery and just lots of question marks. And I'm it thinking works about out. now. You'll figure I'm it thinking out about eventually. it now. I probably could name the muscle groups if I was like looking at a, at one right now, but it's it's not important. The thing is, it's all good. No. It's all good meat and eat it. Um, the thing that I found the the best to learn butchering is uh, spring bear. I just because the trichinosis thing, I don't you know I don't have much time for steaks. And it's very difficult to get a bear roast to temperature without turning it into an old bloodstone. So I grind and like and as a family man, the the ground meat, and I think Uli said this on the podcast I had him on recently, the ground meat is like the most valuable thing. Because it's uh-huh. I rather it's cook just so egg. easy. You can do anything. Like you can do anything. Anything. Um, I've been doing lately, and I stole this from uh, Meat Eater again. Giannis was talking about these smash burgers. And I... Okay. You've been on those? Uh, yeah. Well, it's the whole world has been on yeah, smash I'm burgers. Not in t- like, I'm in, a, not in touch with those people in the rest of the world. You get a little <laughs> bit of Meat Eater podcast. You non-hunters. Anyway, if you're not familiar with the smash burger, and this is my definition, but it's... I, I create a I make my regular meatball or burger mix with some uh mm-hmm. I've got chickens out here so I use my fresh chicken eggs a couple of eggs mm-hmm. oats whatever I'm putting in there I make little meatballs and I get the pan super hot with a bit of oil and I squish I, I put the meatballs in I put them all in and they brown up a little bit and then I squish them down as thin as I can get them let them all sizzle for a few minutes flip them over, quick sizzle on the other side, and then take them off. And Wait, is that Giannis told you to make your smash burgers I like that? I think so. Or at least that's how I, okay. that's how I interpret it. Am I wrong? Um, I mean, for those listening that are food purists, going Chris, Chris, Chris. Okay, well, let me finish why like I like it, and then you can tell me why I'm wrong. Yes. I'm going oh. to defend you because there's you're doing it. I think you're doing it. The I like the idea that I can get a super thin burger uh, cooked to temperature all the way through um, yeah. without having to like dry it out. So I'm really excited to do some bear smash burgers because you normally, like I normally put the bear, I have to, I can never get a good bear burger because I'm worried about it not being cooked all the way through. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the Chris Print definition of a smash burger. Where did I go wrong? Well, traditionally it's just made from uh, pretty uh-huh. fatty beef and then you make the ball and then you squish it thin right away oh. right away like onto a griddle super hot like smoking hot and then you flip it and flip the other way but for those that don't understand wild game and why your burgers suck is it's super lean so it won't have the fat to form the crust on the outside and that's what makes a smash burger good so you were very smart to add eggs mm-hmm. and oats which add moisture and help form that crispy outer layer that you cannot get with lean wild game that mm-hmm. has no fat, and that's that's the cheating way. And I actually that's genius. and I also I also so have taken can... to putting quite a bit of oil in the pan. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually started cooking with lard because I went down a rabbit hole of why processed oils were bad yeah. for you. So I started just using, uh, and you can just buy at the grocery store because now everybody's a foodie. Uh, they sell cow lard, duck lard. Really? You can buy anything at most grocery I was, stores. I got onto that for a while and then I started getting in trouble because I was cooking with a whole bunch of like duck fat for a while. And then... That's expensive. Well, I just shit. had it from ducks. And oh. then the wife was like, Chris, um, don't know how to tell you this, but everything you feed me tastes like a fucking duck. And I was like, all right, well, let's try the avocado oil again, I guess. <laughs> Cow, yeah, good. cow. Buy, buy grass-fed cow. It has okay. no taste. I get behind that. Um, what's the smoking point on 
fat. Pretty yeah? darn high. Because when you yeah. fire up those cast iron skillets, um, that oil gets a smoking pretty quick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lard is good. So, I'm not totally out to lunch. That's a wild game version of a smash burger. You know what? I kind of like tuned out listening to Giannis talk about that on that podcast. I was The, the takeaway <laughs> was that super thin. Smash it smash thin. Smash it thin. Yeah, and super thin. Yeah, like they're great. I serve them to the kids all the time. And that's just the versatility of ground meat. But then what I was trying to yeah. get to with the bears, the spring bear, I grind the whole thing. The whole thing. So it's a good opportunity to just spend some time taking apart an animal and you're not worried about making a mistake. So mm. when, I get, when I've got my... If you can find the bears. Yeah. When I've got my collection of bears on the butchering <laughs> table this year, you should come out and help me. Yeah, you'll have to stand on the deck because of COVID. <laughs> I'm going to try to shoot my own bear because, once again, never shot a bear. Yeah. It's on my to-do. This year, I have no LEH desires. I literally said it is, I think it's going to be my fourth year hunting. I'm going to get me a bear yeah. or a deer. Not picky. Either or is fine. Just yeah. one of those. <laughs> I'll be happy. Well, I I would like to come on one of your bear hunts, maybe. I could get, I could get behind Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, you need a car, by the way. <laughs> no, I actually reevaluate again, and this year, all the other years, I've been wishy washy because I heard you guys nagging. You know, you guys are my mentors, and I was like, my mentor says I need a car. I'm gonna get a car, but I keep crunching the numbers. I'm like, look, I don't drive to work. I don't really go anywhere most of the year. I don't yeah. need a car. I live downtown. It's too expensive. And if I'm going to ever buy my home in this city, I can't be going to buy a truck and paying and filling that thing yeah, up. Fair enough. <coughs> but then how I get out to you is I make friends and somebody gives me a ride out. And then yeah, I guess if you used to it, I would drive me nuts having to rely on someone to drive me around. Um, <laughs> I got some pretty cool bear hunts coming up this year. We're actually doing a, um, we're doing a canoe trip through oh. likely bear habitat. Uh. Yeah, so this is going to be a lot of fun. We haven't really spoken about a bunch on the podcast. I'm going to get the guys on pretty soon. We'll just start doing some public planning. Um, yeah, but we've got I think it's seven days, and we've got a. Um, if you're saying canoe, I'm thinking this is along the island side. I don't know where it is. Oh, okay. Because oh, okay. <laughs> um, I was thinking canoe too and just saying that's that's the air general area. We're doing a canoe at. trip. Um, <laughs> yeah, seven day thing. Uh, camping and we're going to fish and hopefully get into some bears. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Big, the big yeah. bears. Yeah, big bears. And uh, okay, folks. So he basically confirmed he's hunting along the islands on the I mean, coast. I don't know. I don't know. Region nine. <laughs> you see what I did there, new hunters? You don't ask people where they're hunting, but you ask questions that conclude it. Because a, a hunter won't ever review their spots, but if you ask questions <laughs> around it. The best thing is, um, if I if anybody ever sees a photo of me with a bear from this trip. Because I'm notorious for shooting not massive bears, it'll throw everyone off the scent. Like, I'm kind of like you. I'm like, I, I'd rather eat that bear than wait for maybe a bigger one. Yeah. I'm not picky. I'm like, first thing legal, <laughs> good yeah. to go. No, yeah. It's a, I passed a bear. So, for the longest time, I have not been able to pass. pass I can't pass anything. Anything. And I thought, you know what? And I, you know, I was talking to old, like some old timers and some mentors of mine, and they're like, you know, Chris, you know, I don't know what what, what was the wording. It was, um, what's better than shooting a big buck? Having the the experience and the patience to pass a, a big buck to let one pass. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Like, I wish I was of that mindset, and I wish I was that patient and experienced. So I started trying to like think, all right, I'm going to let some stuff walk. And then last year, I'm, bear, I'm, I'm hunting and 
I mean, this big bowl, big alpine bowl, full of berries. And there's a bear in there. And it's head down. It's eating berries, eating berries, eating berries. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I'm 400 yards and I've got my tripod out and I've got the shooting rest set up and I've got the bear in the crosshairs. And I'm like, huh, maybe I'll get closer. Maybe I'll get closer. So I get a little bit closer and now I get to like 300 yards. Same thing. Bear's got no idea I'm there. Wind's great. Everything's good in the crosshairs. And I'm like, let's just see how close I can get. Like just for fun. Let's just see. And then I'm at 100 yards. Like, and I'm watching this. And oh. The bear's like still, and I'm above the bear looking down. And I'm so, you know, it's like in the, the, the alpine berry. So, you know, you've got like two feet of cover from the, so I'm, I'm just sitting down. The, I'm sort of leaning over the top of the bushes looking down this bear. And it just, this guy's voice comes back into my head. Chris, you know you've made it when you can let him walk. And I'm thinking, huh. Yeah, like for sure. I'm not even going to shoot this bear. Now I've told him, now I'm out. Now I'm out of the game. Unload my rifle and I'm like, I'm going to see how close I can get. I'm going to get a photo of this bear, like really, really close. So I get down and now I'm at 80 yards. And then I'm at... This is the story where you come home with no eye, but you have two <laughs> eyes right now. So then good. I'm at 70 yards. And I'm like, God, this is great. Look how close I am to this bear. That guy was right. I'm so glad I haven't didn't shoot this bear at 400. I'm having this great experience with this bear. And then the wind switches. And the bear stands up and smells me. I'm by myself. Smell. And, and, it can, and straight away, I'm busted. And then the bear starts starts to run yeah. off. And as soon as it turned its back on me, I'm like, shit, no, 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 no. I want to shoot you now. I want to shoot. I want to shoot. I want to shoot the bear. I want to eat this bear. And uh, the, bear, the bear ran off. And I was like, so then I'm like running around like an idiot trying to find the thing. And uh, I left just feeling so stupid. I'm like, why did I pass? That was good food. It was eating berries. It would have tasted delicious. It wasn't the biggest bear, but it would have been great eating. Anyway. That's why I have gone back to my original ways of don't pass. Yeah. Don't pass. You just, it's too, it's, it's, especially when you're starting from ground zero, like not hunting your whole life. So you're still trying to figure out your spots and doing what you, it's, it's, your odds are low. (laughs) And if you happen to be lucky, take the damn luck. It's like winning the lottery, essentially. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it feels like it that. Yeah. Like, just, just take the damn money. Take yeah. it. Take the yeah, fat you ass. You got 150 pound. Well, <laughs> you got 100 pound of meat walking around in front of you. You should take it home to mama and show yeah. the spoils of your labor. Although, like my my boyfriend also had a good part point because I was getting super hyped up for Black Bear. I was like, this is the year. This is the year. And then he. You know, he said, where, where are you going to put that bear? Both freezers are full. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a right. meat hoarder. And it actually made me realize that I was like, oh, he's right. And at first I got really defensive. I'm buying another freezer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I got really defensive. I'm like, this is my time alone. You know, this is hunting's my thing. Is I'm going to go is your boyfriend there, not a hunter, stand in my way. Hunter? No. Is that he, by design? He does not hunt. Absolutely. That's by design, oh, obviously. You've picked a non hunter to be your, your life mate. I mean, I have other passions. I'm a complicated <laughs> woman. I have lots of needs, Chris. Okay. <laughs> Hunting's only one aspect. Um, but at first, I was really mad and defensive, thinking like he was trying to get away, get in the way of my spring season. But then I let it sit for a few weeks and I looked around like he had a valid point. And. I'm still excited to get out, but like you said, I actually might, I actually might let one pass because I'm like, he's right. I don't actually have room and I still got fall and I'm not in a hurry and it's kind of taken mm-hmm. the pressure off and I'm, I'm excited to actually for once in my, finally, after three years of just hunger <laughs> of wanting meat, I can finally just chill and enjoy and adventure hunt a little bit and just, yeah. Well, if so. you want to... If you spots. want to completely <laughs> unravel all of that thinking, my freezer could do with a bear in it. So feel free to hunt until you're 
to your little self is content because uh, we get to a lot of meat over here in the print household. I I bet you got some. Yeah, my boy will be. Yeah, he'll be one in April, and he is built like a brick shit house. He is a beast, and he eats and eats and eats and eats and ticks after yeah, his death. Yeah, I eat a lot. When as soon as the food runs out, he's uh banging and screaming and yeah. So you know, keep that in mind. The prince could use could use some bear meat. I will. All I right, will. I think uh I think we'll sign off there, Jenny. We're coming right up on an hour. Were you gearing up for a big two-hour sesh? Yeah. No, this was just really fun. It just passed by yeah, really good. No, they are. And like this is, I said this before we started and I knew it wouldn't be a problem with you, but just to be able to casually banter and talk shit. Um, I've said this on previous podcasts. Once the red button, the red light starts flashing, it kind of makes everyone a little bit on edge. Me too. You just don't get that connection through the computer like you do sitting at the desk with someone mm. but you and i talk shit and yell at each other enough every day that well not every day but at least once a week we're screaming <laughs> at each other about something so we're uh we vibe pretty good where can people find you jenny uh they can follow my instagram at chasing food club all one word right now i'm doing an asian cooking series so once a month i'm cooking a chinese vietnamese dish and I'm, I'm obsessing about it the whole month until I get it right. And then I'll post a recipe at the end and of the month. And where can people pre-order the recipe book? Let me put uh, up a link. I'll, I'll take names now and uh, take a hefty deposit and I'll, I'll let <laughs> yeah, you know. perfect. Well, put me down. <laughs> I'll take one. Hey, thanks, Jenny. I really appreciate it. This is great. 